Take your Bible and open it to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and uh, verse 16. Anybody know where I'm headed with my message? Talking about the Great Commission this morning. And uh, when we get finished, when we finish communion and so on, and I, I'm going to be sharing with you an idea of, of an outreach. That's why you have a little uh, flyer in your bulletin. My prayer is that uh, when you get up out of that seat today, you're going to be saying, I have, I have to do something. I have to do something. I have to respond. And that, that's my prayer, and, and that's my goal. Now, you can see this picture up on the screen, although there's a caption which I doubt that you can read. But here's a picture of two men in an in a urban setting. And uh, you can see that one man is getting ready to, to uh, fall to some serious injury or worse. And uh, he looks respectable, though, doesn't he? He's dressed up nicely. And there's another man who's equally respectable, and uh, he sees the person in danger, and uh, he's very, very much concerned. He tips his hat, and the caption reads, have a good day, sir. Have a good day, sir. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, that might picture our involvement in the Great Commission as it relates to us reaching our neighbors. I wonder if you're like me, at times you can go a couple weeks or maybe even longer and not have, have shared the gospel with anybody. In fact, maybe you've said more of have a good day than anything else and you've seen people in danger and you're aware of their needs and yet for some reason you haven't spoken. And I know for me, uh, it can be sometimes at weeks. And I need to be challenged. So if you would listen to me as I challenge myself, I would very much appreciate that because I think we all, we all need to be challenged. And I, and I wonder it, why we, we tend to de-emphasize the gospel in our lives as it relates to reaching the people around us. And, and part of it is uh, who wants to be rejected, right? I mean, we, we assume that when we share something about Christ that they're going to say, I don't want to hear that. And sometimes they, they had their response, but often you'd be surprised how people might be interested. The Spirit of God is at work. Uh, another thing that perhaps keeps us from de-emphasizing the gospel is the cross, the message of the cross, is just offensive. It says that you and I don't measure up on our own, and it took uh, the most holy person in the history of mankind to hang bloody on a cross to pay for my sins. Otherwise, I and you, neither one of us, could be ever be made acceptable to God. You won't make it. You won't do enough good works. There isn't a religion on the planet that will do it for you. You won't make it. You need that crucified, buried, risen man, Jesus, and nobody else. And I'm telling you, that's the most politically incorrect message that anybody could say today. Who do you think you are? And so there is this, this pressure uh, against the, the cross is offensive. And when we make the commitment to be uh, about the business of preaching the gospel, don't you think that our enemy is active in pushing against us and, and providing us with any number of excuses? And he will distract churches by all sorts of good things so long as the congregation never gets around to speaking the gospel to others. Beware of gospel-less busyness in your life. 
Do not be a spiritual cul-de-sac on the highway of the gospel. So this is the end of summer and beginning of a new season, and I'm here to challenge us and to remind us of really why we are here. Why the bricks and the mortar, and why you, and why the programs, and and why we do what's called church here at Cedar Crest, and, and outside the walls as well. We are here because God wants us to meet, reach the nation's and our neighbors. And my emphasis today is on our neighbors. In a couple weeks, you're going to be hearing an emphasis on the nations as we have our, our uh, missions conference. But you now have, or should have, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And uh, I'm going to read this. And uh, if you have the Bible, uh, the ESV Bible, I'd, I'd like if you would also uh, read with me. If you don't have that, you can read, read along silently. It's going to sound weird if we're all saying different words. But if you're using an ESV Bible, I'm going to ask you to read it aloud with me. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Ready? Here we go. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You can take that picture off now. So we are surely called to meet human needs, and this needs to be a part of our vision, as Cliff was saying in the video, that needs to be a part. But the gospel, fundamental, fundamental to the message of the gospel, which is Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, fundamental to the gospel is the need to proclaim it. The need to proclaim it. For instance, the, another one of the places in the uh, Bible where we have the Great Commission <clears throat> Luke 24, Jesus said, It is written that the Christ should suffer, meaning the Old Testament says this, It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and he keeps on going, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, the, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So embedded in the, in the message of the gospel is, is the fundamental need for it to be proclaimed. It's, it's not a, just a message. It's not just a fact. Embedded in the message of the gospel is that it needs to be said. So my question to you is, what is this great need for making disciples that, that we just read about in Matthew 28? There is a radical need for making disciples right here in the Lehigh Valley. I'm not going to give you a bunch of statistics. I want you to see the scriptures, that the scriptures prove to us that there is an incredible need. If you just hold your place in Matthew and go to Ephesians chapter 2, let me just remind us of what the Apostle Paul says is our condition, everyone's condition 
until we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's on page 976 if you're using the, uh, the red Bible in front of you in the, in the rack. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes, And you were dead in the, trans- the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, I just described my neighbors, and they're respectable people. I just described myself before I came to know Jesus as my Savior. That's who we all are. And that's why there is this uh, crying need for making disciples. You see, when you make a disciple, you present the gospel and the person believes. The moment that they believe, they become a follower of Jesus. Isn't it interesting in this text in Ephesians chapter 2 that Paul says that prior to receiving Christ, we are dead. But in our deadness, we are following. We're living dead. We are following some things, he says. We are walking, we are following the course of this world. The, the, the ungodly nature of this world is, is, are the marching orders for the person who is not a disciple of Jesus. And following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit who is not working the sons of disobedience. And then it says, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That doesn't sound like much of a dead person to me, does it? They're spiritually dead and and walking dead people, but they're following the ways of this world. And we all once lived in this way, and everybody that you meet that is not a disciple of Jesus is described in these words. We need to make disciples. And the outcome of all this is that we are without hope and separated from God, And without God in the world. And then in the book of Titus, Paul, the apostle, talks about the outcome, the outgrowth of a life that is dead in sin. And this is how he describes it. And you don't need to turn there, but it's Titus chapter uh, 3, verses 1 to 3. Remind them to be, this is the context, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's good advice. But I want you to see here his description of the outworking now of a life without God in the world. He says, For we ourselves were once, just like Paul said in Ephesians 2, we were this, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Do you understand? Making disciples is radical work because all nations and people are radically broken. Jesus is calling us to speak so that we can call people out of darkness into light. 
We are called to go to people who are blinded by Satan and willful ignorance of God and tell them to look at Christ. We are called to plead with them to leave the ways of this world, their own sinful passions, and the deceptions of Satan and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and a new life. We are calling them to believe that they are in danger. They're about to step into danger. And they need to run from the wrath of God. And here is an interesting truth. The radical brokenness that is described here is not something that is just among the nations. It is but it is among the Lehigh Valley. It is right down your street. And if I told you some of the things that I've heard about recently in my own neighborhood, I would, and I'm not, but I don't have time. There is brokenness right next door. You don't have to go far. And we should reach out to our Fran, F-R-A-N, our friends, our relatives, our associates at work, and our neighbors. Our Fran with the same urgency as we do going to unreached people groups. Because in the end, if someone has not repented and embraced the gospel by faith, they are lost. Here, there, or anywhere, they are lost. And beloved, we should not avoid people of different religions. By all means, you're going to have some of your most fruitful spiritual conversations with people who are religious because there are, they want to talk about it. And uh, they too are our neighbors, especially Muslims. And there's this prayer meeting today and during Sunday school in room one. And I encourage you to go and pray. And if you have Muslim neighbors, to pray for them by name. But if not, pray. Pray that God would open hearts. They are our neighbors. Beloved, the nations have become our neighbors. And so we need to reach all our neighbors. And humanity is hopelessly religious. And people are following something, but they need to follow Jesus. And I think our church has taken this command very seriously. I think when I, in some ways when I open this text, I go, I'm preaching to the choir. But you know what? I think we're doing very well with the first half, the nations. But I'm not so sure we're doing well with the other part, the neighbors. Okay? And that's why I'm talking to us. And we should never ever let up on reaching the unreached. But I think we also need to consider that we need to reach the reached. Because they still need to know Christ. And God has put us here. And God's going to send some of us to the regions away because the nations need to hear. But for, the vo- but for those of us who are going to stay, we need to speak. And wouldn't you say that sometimes <clears throat> it's easier to leave home and go to a strange place and speak the very same gospel that gets us tongue-tied when we're right in our backyard? But we need, we need that. We need help. And in a few minutes, I'm going to share with you an idea that I think would be very, very simple that would get us all involved in this, in this reaching our neighbors. My heart's passion is to see the same fervency of spirit to reach our neighbors as we do the nations with the same vigor. But we ask, and go back to the text in Matthew, or, uh, Matthew 28. On what authority do we go? 
You see, uh, who do we think we are? We think we know better? We think we're better than other people? Is it that we think we're so smart? Is it, is it that we're educated and, and we know so much other people don't know? We just have to enlighten them. Poor, poor souls. Is that what it is? It's not that. What it is, is that we have received a commission from the person who said, I have been given, Jesus, he's been given all authority in heaven and in earth and based on his authority, not our own, we go. <clears throat> we proclaim him. We do not authorize ourselves. We don't have any. What authority do we have in this culture? We do not authorize ourselves. We have been authorized to speak. We don't need somebody's permission. Do you realize that? We do not need permission from some other authority to speak. Now, some folks that are our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in other countries where they don't have freedom, when they, when they obey Jesus, they sometimes write that obedience with their blood. We're not there yet. We may be, but until then... And whether or not, we need to obey because Jesus has all authority. He has authority over all the powers of the universe, Paul said in Ephesians 1. And we all know Philippians chapter 2, it says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the person who has authorized us to go. He has authority to judge and he will judge the nations and he will judge everyone, everyone. One will stand before Jesus. He, Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verse 22, <clears throat> the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus is our Savior, but one day he will be judge. And everybody will stand before him. Think of it. You and your friends, you and your relatives, you and your associates at work, you and your neighbors, we will all stand before Jesus. Even though they don't believe in him, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change what's going to happen. You know, <clears throat> there are a lot of appointments that we can miss, like the dentist. You know, oh, you know, sorry, doc, I'm just not feeling well today. We've changed the appointment, you know. We can avoid some things that we don't want to go to. Uh, but there's an appointment that we will not change. And we can look forward to that appointment because we serve Christ faithfully. We know him, but... <clears throat> the world will stand before Jesus and those who have not repented and trusted in him. What an awful day. Peter said he preached to, in the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius and he said, he, Jesus, ordered us, this is a quote from Peter, he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify, which means to warn, that he is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. <clears throat> Your Fran may not know this. And he, they may not know that they're taking a step into eternity. And so you have been given a message. We have been given a message that, that we can share. We've got to do something. And just because they don't believe won't change reality. When you believe in Christ, you are changed. And so don't yield to the temptation to be silent. The culture says, sit down and shut up. Who do you think you are to tell me what I should believe? Now, let me say this real quickly. If you think that that means being rude, heavy-handed, obtrusive, intrusive, harsh, 
That, that, that's not what this means. Please, that is not what this means. If you're pushy and overbearing and, and, and a know-it-all, that, that's not fulfilling the Great Commission as you go. That's fulfilling something else. I don't know what it is. If someone didn't want to listen to Jesus, he let them go. He was direct and sometimes even harsh, but only with the religious hypocrites whose self-righteousness blinded them to their own sin. Peter said, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But how should we do that? Be rude and obnoxious when you do that. He says, With gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Carry out the Great Commission with love, with joy, with, with not out of a sense of duty, but out of a, the greatest act of love, one of the greatest acts of love that we could ever do for our neighbors, for our friend, is to just tell them of the love of Jesus. We don't have to be slick salesmen, and we, we don't even have to be good at it. We just have to be lovingly obedient. You ever hear the saying, anything worth doing is, anything worth doing is worth doing what? Right. Okay. I've heard that, but I have a new ending for that. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Because if it's worth doing, it's worth trying. It's worth going, it's worth trying and failing. It's worth... Failing miserably, but learning. It's, it's growing. If it's worth doing, then do it. Don't worry about whether you succeed or not. Do it because Jesus commands it and you love your friend. And you'll get better at it. 